Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, we're really kind of finding some old truths that we need to be reminded of. And for some of us, we're finding some new things that, are, that we've never thought of before as we jumped into this, uh, as we dived into it, as I like to say. Uh, Jonah was a reluctant prophet, to say the least. Uh, he was very anxious to go out to prophesy to Israel, very anxious to go out because he was considered a good news prophet. He was a, you know, a prophet that the people, he actually turned people back to God. Well, that was a great thing. It's wonderful when ministry is going great, isn't it? You're all excited about it. But for his ministry to take a turn, for him to go to the Ninevites, he wasn't too happy about that. Uh, when it came to Assyria, not so much. You know, well, last Sunday we saw that this book is is very different than many other minor prophet books. Jonah is very short, uh, you know, a lot, a lot like the other minor prophet books, but only one verse is about the prophecy. Uh, that God wanted him to go. The other four, you know, there's 48 verses and only four, uh, I mean, only eight words of, of prophecy. The rest is about the prophet himself. And this is really unique in the scriptures. Uh, usually you find out just a little bit about the prophet and it's all about the prophecy. Well, this is almost like the opposite. You find a little bit about the prophecy and it's all about the prophet himself. Uh, this, this message is about Jonah, not the message. Now, if you've studied the Old Testament uh, prophets, you will find out that many of them were very reluctant to do what the Lord uh, wanted them to do. And, and many of them even showed some fear. You had, you know, Moses and Isaiah. Uh, both were hesitant, but they were willing to talk with the Lord about what the Lord wanted them to do. But Jonah, you know, does not. He just, he just takes off. And I, I grabbed a, a map. It's not a great map, but it kind of gives you an idea uh, of the direction he was supposed to go versus the direction he went. Now, you keep going out four times where the direction that Jonah actually went. I guess it's that way. Um, four times the distance there. So 500 miles versus 2,000 miles, he was running away from God. You know, he probably knows that he won't win the argument with God. Most of us are like that. We, we kind of understand that, that God is all supreme. So we're sitting there going, instead of fussing with God, instead of arguing with God about this, I'm just going to kind of ignore it and take off the other direction. And that's what Jonah is doing here. Uh, or at least he tries to do that. He, he's basically saying, I am not going. No matter what. No way. Um, nope. Nope. Just not going to do it. Now, growing up, I was never really told why Jonah did, did this. It was just Jonah went away from the Lord. We were never taught, you know, why he did that. Was he just stubborn? Jonah was a good prophet. He was a good news prophet. And people liked him. Like we said earlier, he helped turn people back to God. But he, he very much disliked the Ninevites. There, there was a hatred there because of, of the history of what the Ninevites did to, to not only his people, but people in general when, when they came in and destroyed a nation, when they came in to, to, and, and won the war in a sense. And he had every good reason to, to have these feelings. These guys were very brutal people. And it would only be another generation and a half that, that these people who turned, you know, the end of the story, we, we know the end of the story where, where the Ninevites are actually saved, they actually turn back to God, they actually repent. 
Well, it was only a generation and a half later that, that they had already turned away from God and God came in and destroyed the, the Ninevites. But they treated those they conquered brutally. And no doubt he had family members that had dealt with this before. And another thing, it would be very dangerous for him to go to Assyria. There's about a million Ninevites that lived in Assyria. It was about, you know, three days to go across. They estimate somewhere around 60 miles. And, and then also within that, you kind of had the central part of the city. It was eight miles around, I think is what they say. And, and the city walls were 100 feet high and 45 feet wide. They would have chariot races three across on top of the city walls. So this is not a place that, that, that you, you go in and mess with, you know. So here Jonah, you know, we discovered that, that, that he just did not want to go there. I think one of the reasons why he didn't want to go there is because he also knew God's grace and God's mercy. He also understood what he didn't want to happen. He didn't want the Ninevites to turn to God. He wanted them destroyed. He didn't want God's grace. He knew God's grace and God's mercy because he went to the, the northern kingdom of Israel and said, hey, what you're doing where you're worshiping God, that's not where God has called you to do that. You know, this altar that, that you're, you're sacrificing to God on? No, you're supposed to go down to Jerusalem. And they turn back to God. Many of them turn back to God. He, you know, he understood God's grace and mercy. His reputation was on the line. Did he want to be known as the prophet who went to the enemy? Jonah just wanted to... Well, actually, um, it's kind of interesting. Here comes this Hebrew prophet into the city going, God is going to destroy this place. Imagine how these million you know, or so Ninevites would have reacted to that. Some would have been laughing, some would have been off with his head, some would have been going after him. So you can imagine all those different things. But Jonah wanted to go in and say, God is done with you and will destroy you. Give no wiggle room whatsoever. Yet Jonah knew that God had something else planned. He just kind of understood God. He, you know, he could just tell. And he was not going to be tied to the revival of Assyria. So very quickly he decides to run away from God. Why he thinks he can get, you know, very far without God knowing, I, I don't understand that. You know, it's not like God's going up there, uh, you know, up there, hey, Archangel uh, Michael, uh, do you know where Jonah went? He, he knows where he went. He sees all of us. He understands where we are at every moment of every day, every second. God knows us. We discovered last week that if you run away from God, if you want to pay the price... And Jonah does pay the price. If you want to pay that price, you know, he pays for the ticket, he pay, you know, drags other people through that with him. But if you want to pay the price, the devil will make sure there's a way for you to pay that price. The devil will make sure a ship is there for when you run away from God. You can always run away from God for a while. It's not like he has a leash, you know, with, you know like an animal or, or some of the children's leashes, you know. Or the harnesses, I think they're called. They're not called leashes for kids. I'm sorry. Though I'd probably recommend it for a few of you, but you know. But see, God lets us go. And Satan will totally help out in that situation. 
So in chapter 1, we find Jonah running away you know, to Joppa. He pays the fare, he gets on the ship, he falls asleep, and it's the sleep of, of escape, the sleep of depression. If I just can put the covers over my head and ignore the situation, it will just work itself out, and I'll wake up and everything will be taken care of. Well, that's not how it works. And he gets there, and you know, there's this huge storm, and, and it's so bad that the sailors are literally throwing the cargo overboard. The ship is going 45 degrees to one side or the other, just getting thrashed around. They're so afraid, they're throwing their money off the boat. And they find Jonah fast asleep there. What are you doing? Get up here and, and, and pray to your God. Call out to your God. You know, we have called out to our multiple gods. You go ahead and try it. You, you call out to yours. So they cast lots and figure out, okay, well, we've got to figure out who has offended their God. So they cast lots and it falls on Jonah. Dude, what, what did you do? Who are you? Where did you come from? And he makes a statement, I am a Hebrew. I worship the God that created the land and the sea. And they're thinking, great, we got the right God. What should we do? He says, throw me overboard. But they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to upset his God. If his God's causing this many problems and they throw him over, overboard, they're thinking, no, God's going to be even you know, madder at us. But then just a verse or two later, they changed their mind. So there he went. So Jonah knew that God was, was not going to make these guys pay for his pain, his sin. He understood that if he just left, things would be better. But when you're out in the middle of an ocean, you know, his, his rebellion was causing them to go through that storm. His rebellion, not anything that they did, his rebellion. Others had to go through the storm that he created. And this is exactly like our lives. Our rebellion never just affects us. The stuff we choose to do in disobedience to God, you know, we're not just islands. There are people attached to us, unless we totally isolate ourselves away from everybody. And everyone around us effect, you know, feels the effects of our lives and what's going on. So they threw him overboard, but Jonah was still not going to go to Nineveh. He would rather die. And this is pretty obvious. Because I truly believe that if he said, hey guys, just turn the boat around and start going for home, God will calm the seas. I truly believe that God would have done that. Because that would have been Jonah giving his will back over to God, going, I will do what you're asking me to do. I don't think God would have said, nope, sorry man, I've already called the fish, he's on his way, that's it. I don't think we have, we, we don't worship a God that's like that. Jonah would rather die than repent. Jonah's heart became hard on the subject. He was following the Lord and something happened. Something threw him for a loop. And he decided, I'm just walking away. I'm just going to go in the opposite direction. I'd rather, I'd rather die than repent. And in verse 17 of chapter 1, the last verse... And Lisa, you'll have to forward that. It's not working. It says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. The Lord provided a great fish. Another translation said, The Lord appointed a great fish. Hey, fish, you, you're the one. You're the one I'm calling. Go and do this. Now, none of the, uh, none of the terms use the word created. So it's not like God 
created a whole new animal to go and do this. It said he appointed. Or he, he, um, he, he provided or appointed here. So this, I would conclude, would be a fish that would still be around today. Not the actual fish, but, you know, generations beyond that. It's not like he took a minnow and all of a sudden just blew him up, you know. You know. So, so far, we see God providing for Jonah. Look at all the things that Jonah, uh, that God has provided for Jonah so far. Verse 1, 1, the Lord provided his word. 1, 4, the Lord provided a great wind and a storm. Verse uh, 15, after Jonah is thrown overboard, the, the Lord provided a calm sea. Verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish. Now, when I think of God's provision for my life and, and my family and myself, I don't think of these type of things. When I ask God to provide me, provide for me, what do, what do we normally think of? Money, moolah. It's what, what gets us going in life. It, it allows us to survive. But then I think of health. Now, if your health is bad, health comes first and then money comes second. It's all relative, isn't it? Then I think, man, I got a little boy on the way. You know, Lord, provide. Make sure, you know, make sure that little one is safe. Provide for my home. Provide f- food. When I think of provisions, you know, of the Lord, I don't think of storms. I don't think of fish. Unless it's fish to eat, not fish to eat me. You know, I, I, I think it was Shark Week, ironically, this week on Discovery Channel. <laughs> so God's provision was just the same as food, as water, as shelter, for all those things for Jonah. Because God is giving Jonah grace and mercy in the belly of a fish. And this is the thing I love about the Lord. The Lord does not stop providing for us when we run away from Him. And that's such a weird concept for me. Because, I mean, if I was God and you ran away, I'd be like, okay, that's it. I'm cutting you off. You know, I'm cutting you out of the family in a sense. The, the Lord does not stop providing when we, when we disobey Him. This is the, the difference between God tolerating something and His provision. Often I hear, well, you know, God must want this. He's allowing me to do this. That does not mean he's blessing it. The Lord doesn't stop loving us when we're rebelling. His provision may even stink sometimes. Imagine the belly of the fish. But God is providing two things for Jonah. Grace and truth. John, uh, we, we just got through studying John. John says of Jesus, we beheld his glory and he was full of grace and truth. God is that balance of truth and grace in our lives. God is providing, you know, rescue at the same time as he's providing discipline. I hated that when my dad did that. Rescue and discipline at the same time. The scripture said his disciplines, he disciplines those he loves. God is providing, you know, love for Jonah by hugging him literally with a fish here. At the same time, he's disciplining him with his mercies because his mercies are new every morning. His discipline is not allowing Jonah to drown. God is providing love for Jonah. For the next three days and three nights, he's going to be rescued from his rebellion. God is giving him time to think and to change his mind until Jonah decides to repent. God's like, 
I got you. You're not going anywhere. He's hemmed him in. God is giving him time to think through that. And this is what repentance is really about. Repentance is accepting you know, and agreeing with God that you're headed in the wrong direction. We think, oh, we just turn around. No, it's totally agreeing with God. What I'm doing is, is wrong. Some of us in this room not too long ago were headed the wrong direction, and the Lord got a hold of us, and, and maybe it was through a storm or whatever, and you started you know, figuring out, I'm agreeing with God. What I'm, how I'm living my life is, is not good. I repent of that. And, you know, and you know, God said this, and so we started heading this way. God in His mercy and grace provided some type of storm to say, I love you too much to let you get away. I'm going to take care of you, so start changing your mind. God pursued, pursued Jonah. The Scriptures say the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Well, we would all agree the Ninevites were lost, wouldn't we? Absolutely. But so is Jonah at this point. And God pursued Jonah. Anybody could have said the words, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Anybody, absolutely. God could have wrote it down. Okay, don't mess it up. Do you think God needed Jonah to do it? If I was God, I would have chosen somebody else. Fine, go to Spain. Try to learn Spanish. I would have given up on him. But God never gives up on those whom he calls. If God has called you to do something, he's not given up on you. He knows right where you are. He knows which ship you're on. He knows what direction you're going. Whether or not you're, you're down in the bottom hiding beyond the, you know, behind the cargo. He knows who you are and he's going to be faithful. He doesn't forget about Jonah and that's what I really love about him. You know, there are times in my life when I've been stubborn and, and rebellious, and my wife would say that's more often than not. And that I would look at it and go, man, God should have picked somebody else. Somebody more willing or somebody more talented. And this is what I cannot understand about God. He doesn't always take the most talented and use them. And that just blows my, my mind. For some reason, he, he takes guys like Jonah who will be angry sometimes, who will be rebellious, who will be afraid. And we look and say, that must not be a man of God. Or they couldn't be called to be in charge of that ministry. Look at them. God can't use them. And yet we start to see God using them right then and there. And this is what's so cool, because we all know ourselves. We look at Jonah and go, yep, I can relate to that. I can relate to that desire of just wanting to run away from the situation. I can relate to that desire of knowing what is right and doing what is wrong. I think we can all relate to that. We kind of go, man, you ought to see my problems or how I would react. And God says, I'm going to put you in a fish and let you think. And as we really get into the chapter 2, I know you probably never thought I'd get there. But I, I don't think Jonah really knew, before we get there, I don't think Jonah really knew what he was getting into. I, didn't, I, didn't really, I don't think he really knew what was going on. It seemed that, that, that there was a storm there breaking up the ship, and, and it seemed that, that Jonah, like, you know, he was thrown overboard. He's flying through the air, and he's, you know, he's thinking he's going to gra- drown, and he almost does. And it seemed like something huge was eating him. Can you imagine? I don't think there would have been that much light, do you? 
Can you imagine being swallowed by a big fish? It seemed like something huge was right there, but he wasn't being chewed up either. And when it seemed like everything was over, it wasn't over. Jonah was ready to face God's judgment. Instead of, and, and instead, what was he receiving? God's grace. There are times in our lives when we're very defensive about sin in our life. Somebody approaches us and, and says something, and man, we go right on the defensive on that. But there's other times when we're very honest, and we go, you know what? I deserve God's judgment on this one. And we kind of, you know, in a sense, just kind of be down on ourselves. God just, needs to, God just needs to judge me. God just needs to take care of me. God needs to punish me. And Jonah was ready to face this judgment. He wasn't going to go to Nineveh. He went overboard, you know, thinking death, not thinking life was awaiting him. God is going to carry him through his rebellion. Has God ever carried you through your rebellion? You know, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, and I just love this. But you know that the, foot point, uh, the footprints, uh, and I use the word poem, and I've been pointed out that that's the wrong way to pronounce it. I don't care. But you, you know the, 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 the gist of the, the poem back in the 80s, I guess, you know. God, we were walking along, and there was two sets of footprints, and, and then one disappeared. Where did you go, God? And, and, and you know, and the, it was a whole story about, oh, God carried me, and da-da-da-da. Mine's totally different. Mine's like there's sand everywhere. There's tracks everywhere. And, God, you know, at the end of the poem, it's like, this is where you drug me, God. Through, you know, you drug me along, kicking and screaming. You know, it's, it's almost like you, you allow God to carry you like a drowning person allows you to, to help them. They're just thrashing all over the place. It says, verse 17, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, you know skeptics have a heyday with, with this verse, with 117 here. The same person that says, you know, give me a break, you know, a big fish like that, at that particular place with no teeth, well, that same person believes in evolution, which is millions of coincidences in the ocean and the land. So the same person that says, well, there's no way that this fish would have been there at this exact time that didn't have teeth and was this big that a man could fit in, all those things, believes in all these little coincidences, you know, in the scientific part of the, what we call evolution. This skeptic doesn't believe that one well-timed event of the Bible... But when something like this is written in the Bible, what do they say? Oh, no, that's not scientific. I can't believe that. The same evolution, you know, evolutionists can't believe that a fish could swallow a man. But they believe a fish can become a man. Go figure that one. But the fact that there is a fish that can swallow a man, oh no, these Bible thumpers, they're, they're out of control. They believe that, that man can design a, a submarine, but apparently God cannot. See, the reality of this is, is that, you know, if I studied this subject, and I've been kind of hesitant to, to go this direction because, you know, I don't want to confuse you. The Bible says it's happened, so therefore I believe it. We kind of covered that last week. You know, even Jesus talked about Jonah and, and said it would be a sign. So I don't, I don't want to confuse the subject. That is why I believe this story is true. But there is some, some other things out there about, about some different type of fish that are, you know, I think appropriate for this. See, I believe that there's a creator who is active in our universe that can find you at a moment's notice. 
who can take you and place you somewhere, who can command you, who can charge you, who can, who can become God of your life. That's what I truly believe that, that our Creator is. Now, did you know that there's other accounts of this thing happening? Not with Jonah, but with other people. Did you know that you don't have to believe in Jonah to believe a, f- a fish could swallow a man? In history, you know, in modern history, it's happened a couple of times. And you can go on the internet and there's debate on, on whether this, the stories are true or not, but they're, you know, they were in the newspapers at the time. Now, there's at least two modern animals that can do this. Uh, the sulfur bottom whale is a, and the whale shark are two different animals. One's a mammal and one's a fish. You can take your pick. Neither of these guys have teeth. And they feed by opening their enormous mouths. And they rush through the water. They, they basically open their lower jaw and they, they rush through the water very quick and very fast. And, and they strain out the water and basically they swallow whatever's left. The sulfur bottom well is, you know, it's 100 foot long. One was captured off of Cape Cod in 1933. His mouth was 12 foot wide. This thing could swallow me and my truck at the same time. They have four to six stomachs. And a bunch of men could, you know, really find free lodging if they really wanted to find a place. In the head of this well, there's an air storage container. Right, with a, I don't know how else, or, you know, nasal cavity. I don't know, how, whatever you want to call it. This room is seven foot wide by seven foot tall by 14 foot long. That's bigger than the bedroom I grew up in. Their heart is the size of a car. A kid could, could crawl through their aorta. So, I mean, I'm trying to give you an idea of how big these animals are. They're huge. Now, it's also been shown that if, uh, you know, sulfur well, if there was an unwelcome guest on board, now remember, his mouth is huge. He doesn't always know what he's swallowing. If there's something he swallows and he doesn't like it, he goes to, to a, a land mass near land and literally he throws it up. Okay? So I'm not saying it was this well, this fish or whatever. I'm just saying it can happen scientifically. Now, the following account is by a guy named Parville. He's a French scientist, and he was not a believer. And he was the editor of the, the journal um, Das uh, uh, or Debats or something like that of Paris. And he was talking about a, the, the Star of the East is a, a welling vessel back in the, in, down in the Falkland Islands down in February 1891. And it tells about these boats that are out welling and all this, and they would send out two little small boats, and basically they'd kill the well and bring it back to the, to the larger boat. Well, as they were trying to do this, as they had the, the hook or whatever, as they were trying to spear it, however they did it back then, he literally falls out. And they tried to save him, but he disappears. They figured the whale must have hit him. He just must have gone down and drowned. Well, they go ahead and catch this whale. They bring it back to the boat. They go back to dock, and they start you know, doing what whalers do, start you know, cutting it up, getting for the blubber. Well, the next day, they actually hit into this, this whale's stomach, and there's something moving around in there. And this man falls out. His name is James Bartlett. Now again, I don't believe this story just because that story was in the newspaper from 1891. I believe this story because Jesus Christ believed this story. But I'm just telling you, this is what what was in the newspaper. And and he came out with, you know, just no hair on him, just bleached skin. You know, his face was was white and his arms were kind of yellowish and just kind of all different, you know. I mean, the gastric juices started eating away at this man. It's kind of weird, huh? 
Now, it's nice to have these stories. Because I'm a guy. And I'm glad I'm having a son, because we can enjoy these stories together. But imagine how Jonah looked when he got upchucked. But we'll get into that next week. Let's find out what Jonah was thinking. First one. Oh, now it's working. Okay. I, it's working up here now. There we go. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I wonder if it echoed. This to me wins the prize of bizarre biblical locations for prayer meetings. And there's some competition for this. I mean, Moses beside the burning bush, Daniel in the lion's den, and, and you, you have all, you know, kinds of like Paul in, in prison after he's beaten, he's having a worship service. I mean, that's bizarre. And then you have what I would say is second place, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. But I think this, this takes the cake. What an experience. Listen to what he writes about. He said, in verse 2, he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, this is before he's in the fish. He's actually just drowning at this point. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents whirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, the sea we wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, uh, remembered you Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple." What an experience this would have been. Jonah knew that he was in trouble in the storm. He knew it was his fault. And he knew he was going to drown. As he was flying through the air, he got his last gulp of air and, you know, and just dove right into the deep, dark water. And he begins to sink. And in his mind, he's calling out to the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's surrounded by this hot, wet, slimy stuff. He doesn't really know what's going on. And he can't hold his breath any longer. So he finally opens his mouth and come to find out what happens. He can breathe. Now, probably stink as all get out. I mean, it probably just, oh man. I wonder what went through his head. Am I in hell? I thought hell was going to be a dry heat. This is more of a humid heat. I'm sorry. I, I had to go there. And he begins to realize... Yeah, you know, it's, it's one thing to say Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Okay, yeah, it's one thing to say it. Or you can be Jonah and really think about it. Being in a pitch black place. And these, there's this water, I mean, and it's burning my eyes and it's sloshing around and it's kind of irritating my skin. And it smells and it's slimy. The mucus that lines his stomach. Did he try to stand up and couldn't stand up? And he, you know, it's like one of those, you know, cartoons where the guy keeps falling down. I wonder what it was like. I could just totally get into this. The fish is going up and down and there's nothing to hold on to. And in the middle, he literally is in the womb of God's protection because he's not going to die. But Jonah doesn't know that. Jonah doesn't know the end of the story. He just knows that he's in a place that he doesn't understand. Maybe he thought this was his punishment. Have you ever been there? 
We talked a little bit of, you know, about it earlier. Okay, I guess God's just using, me, using this to punish me. I deserve it anyway. I'm stuck inside of the fish the rest of my short life because I don't know how long I can stay here. I mean, this is really an unusual, bizarre location. And Jonah just totally reconnects with God. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. He re- he's realizing that God has other plans for him. Verse 6, it says, But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah began to pray, and, and, and you know, in this long prayer before he understands what is going on and, and what's really going to happen in his life. He didn't know what was happening, but he starts to reconnect with God. It has been too long since he has been obedient with the Lord. And he begins to worship. And through this worship comes this psalm. And you know, Jonah you know, is singing inside of the fish in a sense. You know how a well sings? You know, well, okay, I know, I know, I can't help that. But, you know, this kind of got my, now, I know this didn't happen, but this kind of gets my mind going. I wonder if, if other fish could hear Jonah. One well looks at the other well, dude, what's up with you today? What did you eat? No, I know it didn't really happen, you know. But, you know, I don't have a social life, so I just entertain myself. I really don't have time today to go into Psalms 139, but man, this sounds so much like Psalms uh, 139 that David wrote. uh, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Where can I go? Where can I flee that you are not there? Hmm. Well, back at verse 7. Back at verse 7, it says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. If you like to memorize scripture, and I'm sure you've never really memorized anything out of Jonah, you can impress your friends here with this one. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What are you clinging to? When you cling, what do you do? You grab a hold of. You don't have any, any arms you know, to grab God's grace when you're clinging, clinging to other things that aren't God. Look at the, the idols that may be in your, your own life. What are, what are the things that I spend too much time on? What are the things that, that I'm missing out on? What kind of grace am I missing out on because I'm spending my time over here doing this that, that is really not godly? What grace are you missing out on? He goes on in verse 9, it says, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Look at what the prophet says here. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation is the Lord's decision. Lord, if you want to save the Ninevites, which I don't understand why you want to save the Ninevites, but if that is what you want, then I will do what you want. Then verse 10 it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land which I think proves you can't keep a good man down. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, I'm actually not sorry. I think it's funny. Now, you know what what is so cool here? Jonah's time is not wasted. You would think that this has been a whole waste of time. 
Jonah's time is, is not wasted. Jonah just got in a taxi that headed back to land. The whole time Jonah's repenting, God has taken him back toward the place that he wants him to go. God doesn't waste any time. As Jonah's repenting, the, the fish is starting to have these convulsions, and, and here comes Jonah right out of this fish, and you know, no hair, bleached skin, and smelling great, just ready to go preach. <laughs> well, I just have a couple of thoughts here to, to as we kind of wrap up chapter 2. Jonah rediscovered the Lord in a very unusual place. And sometimes it takes our life getting very unusual. Sometimes it it takes our life getting to a point where we're just sitting going, I don't even understand anymore for us to start, you know, for God to get our attention. You know, I think the first thing a person ought to do when they're going through a hard time in life, you know, maybe a a big storm is, is happening in your life or you feel literally you've been swallowed by something slimy and hot and stinky and is to say, Lord, okay, you have my attention. Because if you're trying to get my attention, Lord, then you have it. What are you trying to say to me? Now, sometimes it is not that way. We think, man, what terrible sin did I do? And it's not our sin. You know, sometimes life is just just that way. And it kind of throws us for the loop because sin is in this world, you know. So, so this world is not geared toward God, as in the video that we showed today. Uh, you know, the skulls on the window and all, I mean, the, you know, they call themselves the she shepherds and all this stuff. You know, the world is not for God. So sometimes life is just that way. But sometimes we have to say, Lord, you got my attention. What would you want to say to me now? So Jonah rediscovers God in a very unusual place, and, and you can too. Do you remember when the astronauts first went into space? Now, I don't quite remember it. I'm a history buff. I read it. The ones that are laughing are the ones that actually remember it. But they were so awed being out of, you know, around our atmosphere, and they were actually out in space, and they could see all the stars, and I mean, it was just so much brighter for them. I mean, we have the Hubble telescope today. I mean, there's some unbelievable things, but we're so used to seeing those pictures. But back then, they weren't used to seeing them. They were so odd. And they started, you know, sharing Scripture. You get into God's creation, and you start to see God. Now, the Russians went up right after that, and and they were actually doing spacewalks before us. And they came back and said, we don't see no God. Okay, I know my accent's really bad. Vladimir, or what you know? I mean, they're just basically saying that we don't see any God because they grew up, you know, atheists. They grew up not believing in a God. I, I thought what W. A. Criswell, uh, the following Sunday at First Baptist Church in Dallas, said. He summed it up quite nicely. He said, "What they need to do is step out of those spacesuits, and then they would see God." <laughs> you know, Jonah's reaction here was, "I'm going to sacrifice to you." He's in the whale's stomach. He's recognizing that I need to to do something for God. Now, what's a typical sacrifice? Well, typical sacrifice is you bring your animal, dove or goat or or sheep or whatever it is, you know, a bull or, or, you know, oxen or any of those things, and you take it to the temple, and the priest would would build a fire on the altar, and and they would go out and slaughter the animal and sacrifice the animal and then burn it on the altar. Well, you're in a fish. How do you sacrifice? What is the only thing that Jonah has to sacrifice? His will. His self-will. 
That's the only thing he has. Now, some of you are raising children. And I can remember on, you know, on nicer days, my mom would say I was strong-willed. And I think it's an asset to be strong-willed unless it's not. But sometimes we need to say, as strong-willed children, because I think when it comes to the Lord, most of us are strong-willed. We may not be strong-willed in other areas, but when it comes to God, because we like to be in control of ourselves, we need to say, Lord, you are in charge. And Romans 12 and, and if you want to go into, you know, study a little further this week, go into Romans 12. And I'm just going to read through it really quick. I didn't even put it up on the PowerPoint. But it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer your will. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, to test and approve what, what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body and with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ. We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, and according to the grace given to us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And if it, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And it goes on and on and on. Give your strong-willed type of living over to God. That's what he wants. Sacrifice the hardest thing that there is to sacrifice, yourself. And I think this is an encouraging thing for us. The story of Jonas reminds me of the hardest thing it is for us to do. is to escape God's plan for our life. You know, I, I grew up in, 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 and, you know, I can make detours, but, it, but it's really hard to get out of God's will. You know, I grew up where, where everything was, man, don't get out of God's will. You know, don't miss God's will. So, so you, you just kind of had this thought pattern that, man, if I take one wrong turn in my life, then, man, I, I've missed God's will completely. I think it's a lot harder to get out of God's will than we think. God's will is like a ship, you know, is what I grew up with. And if I miss that exact ship, then it was over until I got to heaven. Then there was God's perfect will, God's permissive will, God's acceptable will. This confusing seeking of of God, I I don't want to miss your will thing. But the reality of Jonah's story is really this. I'm not going to miss God's will. I'm not going to. When I get out of His will and become rebellious, He tracks me down. It's like I got this, you know, GPS, like, you know, this ankle monitor on me all the time, and I'm like, I need to get this off. I need to get away from God. And God's like, no. I'm sorry, that's permanent. It's like that birthmark you have. It's not going to anywhere. You can rub it. You know, I had a birth. I got a birthmark right on my uncle, uh, right on my ankle. And my my granddad always like, oh, I need to scrub that off for you. You know, as a little kid, I'm like, yeah, go for it. It's not going anywhere. It's like the GPS system that God's got built into us. He knows where we are. 
And one of the confusing things that I think we've been taught all our lives is God's will is a job. If you don't get this specific job in life, and sometimes it is, you know, God says, I want you to go be a missionary at such and such. But oftentimes we think, man, I don't want to submit to God because I'm going to find myself in the middle of Africa or Papua New Guinea, and most of you don't even know where Papua New Guinea is, you know. And, and we, you know, we just kind of get this idea. But most of the time, what is God's will for our life? To live in a manner considered to be worthy of Jesus Christ. To be the best mom a follower of Christ can be. To be the best dad a follower of Christ can be. A brother or a sister. Or the best co-worker of, of, you know, a follower of Christ can be. Or the best boss or the best employee. That's what God's will is for our life. To, to live the way He wants us to live so it shows His grace to the world. It's all about God's glory ultimately. And you... And don't ask me why, because I look at myself and go, why did you choose me, God, to show off your glory? I don't think I can do that. You get to show off God's glory. In all your humanity, in all your sinfulness, God's sitting there going, I want to show my glory through you. Just follow my will. Give your life over to me to the point of saying, your desires are what I desire for you. It's all about God's grace. Or you can... You know, you can either do it one of two ways. And the good-looking body God's given you, or He can put you through a fish, and you can come out all looking stinky and no hair and three or four different shades of skin. And, you know, that's really ultimately your choice. Because God will track us down. He always does. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the story of Jonah being in there. and We're having a lot of laughs with it, but ultimately, Lord, the, the truth is this. You love us so much, you do track us down. You love us so much, you don't always let us get away in our disobedience. But you have a purpose for us in this life, and you're asking us to give our will over to you. Lord, I pray for those that are sitting here today, that we look at you this week, and we talk with you this week, we spend time with you this week, and we ask this question, Lord. What do you want out of me? What do you want from me, Lord? And I pray that we respond in, in a way that we can learn from these stories. The story is not here, Lord, just to, to have fun with. The story is to teach us that, that we shouldn't run away from you. We shouldn't run away from what you desire in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you give us the ability and the desire to, to run toward you, not away. Because your arms are open wide, ready and willing to accept us. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. Even in your disobedience, may His grace and His mercy cover you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.